Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing on today with our expectations series, and we're having a lot of fun with this, but we're taking two players. And the idea is you take two disparate players. They don't play the same position. They're not compare and contrast guys. We're not trying to put two guys in, in the same position group. So we're really doing, doing a, uh, a discussion of that in depth with this. What we're trying to do is get a lot of different analysts on to talk about a player so they can make their own comments about the position group. We will have position group shows as we move forward. But for right now, we're judging individual players, talking about who they are right now, what areas they need to improve on, and what would be a win 
in the coming season. And, and in these guys, and I think you've done the same, Jason, I, 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 you, you have a good and a great level. Sure. Yes. I definitely have a lot of ideas. All right. And this is Jason Smith, who uh, is at Huddle It Up Films on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow there. Excellent content. Always very responsive. Jason, how about we start by talking about Josh Bynes? Let's do it, Ken. All right. So the thing I think of when I think about Josh Bynes is how twice now he's come in and saved the Ravens defense in a three-year period. Saving the Ravens defense is probably not exactly the right words for last year, but he certainly came in and improved Patrick Queen's play, improved that Mike linebacker play, uh, really improved two positions by arriving. He really did. In the first five weeks of last season, he only played 18 snaps on defense. And then from there, he took over last 12 games, 70, 76 tackles, uh, six of them for loss, 50 solo tackles. So again, you know, uh, he also had four passes defensed. Uh, and he played over 70% of the snaps through those last, uh, or almost 70% of the snaps in those last 12 games. So when we look at linebacker as being a rotational position, of course, uh, I was surprised that his number was that high when, when all was said and done. And I started looking at him from a statistical perspective. He went from playing 18 snaps in the first five weeks to almost 70% of the snaps for the rest of the season. Very solid two-down player. Of course, there's more first and second downs than there are third down in the NFL because you convert earlier more on more downs. Um, the thing about Bynes that I just love is how much faster he plays in his 40 time. We talk about this occasionally with players, but Bynes right now might be the biggest disparity in the NFL between what he can now run the 40 at because he ran a 4840, you know, a decade ago. And now he's probably not as fast now, but the guy has got incredible instincts and he's, he's just very quick to the football, particularly on run plays. Uh, and, and I think that really helped last year with Patrick Queen keying off what Bynes was doing. I mean, there, there may be some timidness about Queen being the lead guy for either physicality purposes or for purposes of being right about his decision. But being able to key off Bynes really made Queen a much better player. It did. You know, Josh Bynes is one step ahead on the field. This is, he's entering his 12th season, Ken. So a guy that's been around the block and, and like you mentioned, uh, I'm actually just really happy uh, when we, when the signing was announced that he's on the team. And uh, it appears that, you know, uh, the, the, an experiment at queen or queen at middle linebacker has turned into an experiment. Now that should be binds his spot, but um, instinctive allows queen to play faster. So inserting, inserting binds into that lineup improved really two positions. It improved what we were getting out of Patrick queen and then uh, allowed queen himself to be uh, a very good, a splash player uh, making splash plays from that other linebacker spot. You know, we talk a lot about uh, Queen, the run defender, and he certainly deserves it because he's he's been very good in that. But Queen, the pass defender, his first time in 2019, he showed up. The very first game against Pittsburgh, he had a I got no reason to be there interception uh, along that that the right sideline from the offense's perspective. And then against uh, the Texans, he had another one where he just somehow anticipated the ball going to the middle of the field from Deshaun Watson's throwaway after he'd been chased around the pocket for about seven seconds, it seemed. And, and he made a play there again. And, and uh, he, you, you really notice in, in terms of his ability to read the quarterback and probably also read the routes off the line of scrimmage, how he knows more about what's going on behind him than the other Ravens inside linebackers. He does. because, And you can tell it because uh, he anticipates and will take a little slide over step 
uh, both to cover the receiver, but also following the quarterback's eyes. So he gets that kind of like a little head start without giving away where he wants to go. And it showed up on a a number of plays, uh, just a few off the top of my head. I remember one play against the Chargers where there was a late defensive substitution. Bynes comes on the field, literally shoves one player over uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, points the other points to somebody else, scoots him over. Uh, By that time, the ball's already snapped. Everybody's late getting off the motion. And there's a crosser coming. uh, And he just completely, he takes one look at it, ignores it, looks back at the quarterback, takes a little bit of a drop and is able to get a a hand on the football. Uh, Just an amazing play and not not an interception drop. I mean, it was amazing. It was like more of a tipped ball. But uh, amazing play. There's another one that sticks out against Miami on the goal line. Oh, yeah. Uh, both of these are on my channel, by the way, Ken, if people want to check out these Bynes highlights. But, uh, but man, you know, he comes up to the line of scrimmage, immediately figures out what's going on behind him, that that's going to be the first read, the first route, uh, drops back, uh, another opportunity for him to, to make a play on the ball. Um, and these happen, you know, against the, uh, the Bengals, I think, especially instinctive. Maybe that comes from his – uh, time with them but he made a couple of plays he had no business making including calling out Burrow's sneak uh one time last year and it's very he's definitely a very good instincts player and, and and it shows up in multiple facets of the game a guy who's not a, a, afraid to play special teams so he's definitely one of the inside linebackers who would who will stay there uh love what he said at the end of the reason about they're gonna have to kick me out of here and it was i may not be getting the words exactly right but that's the exact notion is that you can pay me the vet minimum as you as long as you want to is what i took from that uh you're not going to make me retire unless you kick me out of here and i love that i just love hearing that because a guy who's still productive probably has a future as a coach in my opinion you know they've got zach Orr, who's a very nice young relatable player good pass instincts just the kind of guy I want coaching linebackers, frankly. Sure. Uh, p- probably will have a better chance with Patrick Queen than um, uh, Rob Ryan did because just, you know, they're different people. I think I, I think I saw some of that at camp, uh, you know, in terms of, of, you know, relatability. But I think it's more likely that or the, the, I'm really getting more at the age difference is going to be easier. Probably also will work well with McDonald. Them being a less age difference is going to be more relatable. Um Hey. Yes. As far as buying, so I could see him easily, could easily see him just from a personality standpoint and a men, and a mentality standpoint, being a coach, whether it's here or somewhere else. If if he wants to stay involved with the game, I, I believe there's a spot for him in this league because, uh, you know, you can see it in this play. Um, whether you can explain that to someone or have them mimic it, I'm not sure, but um, you know his communication skills and all that. But but yeah, he's close to their players' age. Um, he's played in different types of defenses, so um, he always seems to be in the right place. Again, he really makes others' job easier and can clean up for a guy who is getting beat. Uh, you know, by taking the right angle, whether it's an aggressive angle or a safe angle, whatever it is, it he just seems to be there. He's got eyes for what's going on. Uh, all his eyes are always forward. He's not focused on any kind of single player. He's just seeing the whole thing progress. It's just, it's obvious to me that that's what's happening uh, inside his helmet. The other thing I wanted to say about here, which really, really applies to blind binds is the value of the inside linebacker platoon. And, you know, it, it is much cheaper to pay two or even three players 
than it is to find one unicorn. And that's both in terms of the cap dollars you spend and in terms of the draft capital you'll spend to get that unicorn. I mean, you you probably need to get that unicorn in the first round. We've seen a tremendous premium paid for some inside linebackers who didn't work out. And I'm not, we're not talking about Queen necessarily, but we're talking about a lot of the, a broad set of the first round picks. De- the two Devons, Devin Bush, Devin White. Devin Bush didn't get his fifth year option from the Steelers. After they after they spent a ton of draft capital moving up to to get him at number ten, so I, I'm really a, a proponent of saying you have to figure out how to save at some position, and the Ravens can figure out how to do it at inside linebacker if they want to by using less draft capital there. They have a great track record of finding uh, inside linebackers from the UDFA pile. You know, McLean and LRB and Bart Scott, and maybe Zacoby McLean is the next one in terms of of. Uh, of having a guy, but you end up with multiple facets of gain here. You have far less injury risk because those specialists that you have, and you, you, let's say you have, you're talking about your will linebacker spot, or let's say you're talking about your Mike linebacker spot and what it might be this year for the Ravens. Let's say it's really Josh Bynes for two downs and Tony Jefferson on passing downs, which would be a simple way to do it. It doesn't even involve three players. Well, Josh Bynes makes the bet minimum. Tony Jefferson makes the bet minimum. So we'll start there. You don't have any draft capital involved in either player. Um, you have less injury risk, I say, because if Josh Bynes gets hurt, it's bad. I mean, it wouldn't be a good thing for the Ravens. But there are other players who can come in and play a two-down Mike role. And Zacoby Zub- McLean might be the guy who would step out in exactly that role, another UDFA player. Uh, I think you you the combination of specialists gives you better than anything but the very top proven unicorn. So if you have Luke Keekley, great. Go ahead and play Luke Keekley and, and you'll pay him too, but go ahead and play him and and, uh, and and you'll get the value from him. But people overstate the value of the roster spots constraint when at, at inside linebacker, one of the things you're looking for is core special teams play and all your backups anyway. And there's nothing precluding a two or one down player from being a core special teams player either. So that's my my spiel, my soapbox on inside linebacker platooning is I'm, I'm very much in favor of it. I think it's the, you know, obviously it's the norm. I mean, uh, there are only so few, like you call them a unicorn for a reason. Um, but I think the lesson in all that is, you know, really I'm a, I'm a draft the best guy available type of player. Uh, what I would never do is what the Steelers did to trade up and give all that for a guy to trade up for what you think is a three down linebacker. I think a three down linebacker is what you have in an ideal world. He stays on the field. He wears the green dot. He's right in the middle of everything. He's a team leader. Uh, he affects all phases of the game. He can get you sacks. He can, you know, what I call a three level player. He's in the backfield. He's at the line of scrimmage. He's also on pass coverage. Uh, it, it's great. You know, if you have a player like that, it's great. And I, the one part I push back on you on that is the, the injury risk, because if that guy gets hurt, you're back to your plan A. So, um, you know, that can happen to any player, but as far as value, I have a hundred percent agree. I, I think that you can find players for that. Okay, well, I, I, I want to I want to address the the injury risk component, and the point is the the injury risk of your of your solo player really kills you because then you've you've got to find all the components to 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 find those facets, and if the rest of your roster consists of a, a couple of guys that you really have for special teams, as the Ravens did at safety, for example, with Richards and Levine, and not guys that they really want in coverage 
for example, um, you know, you, you end up being being very short on people. Now, inside linebacker is a deep size and shape pool. So there are a lot of guys who can fill various facets of, of being an inside linebacker, including being a two down ILB. My point right. is that if you're going to find the unicorn and you're going to overpay in draft capital, oh, sorry, you're going to pay a lot in terms of draft capital and you're going to pay a lot in terms of salary for that guy because he's special and he's at the top of any list of linebackers that anybody would have. I, I say if you're paying the, the natural premium, which exists in the line in the inside linebacker market in terms of draft capital, I think you're making a mistake. I think it, I think specifically organizations have to decide, yeah, we want to be a, a platoon inside linebacker team and we want to apply it maybe to both positions. My strong safety can be my signal caller, as is the case with the, with the Ravens, who have two guys at strong safety who make good sense to wear the green dot. So I'm... I, I, th- I think there's, I-, I think you need to avoid, you need to be a contrarian. If, every, if everybody's zigging, you want to be zagging. Same thing on the opposite. If the game's loose, you want to play tight. If the game's tight, you want to play loose in terms of poker. So I I want to, I want to have, you know, I want to be taking the opposite philosophy of the year. And if the, if the, if the rest of the league is overvaluing the inside linebacker position in terms of draft capital, I don't want to be doing that. No, I don't want to be doing that. I was just saying from a, from the injury standpoint, that's something I've always pushed back on. One of your point is that if that guy gets hurt, you have you're going to have plenty of guys that can play inside linebacker, plenty of strong safety types that can cover better than uh, your backup linebacker. So you can you can cover for injuries if an injury happens to a wide receiver, it's a problem too. But but yeah, from mm-hmm. a value standpoint, I would never be in the trade up in the first round, uh, 10, 12 spots, whatever it is, to go get Devin Bush because, like you said, the uh, the odds of that guy being your best single player for every single down in distance is small. It's small. I mean, you, you can, you can sub in the Tony Jefferson's and the Chuck Clark's and, and be better than uh, better than average in that spot. So, um, so yeah, but they come out of the blue, don't they can. And the Ravens have, have proven that with the undrafted uh, linebackers that we've had here. So, uh, so yeah, overall point, I definitely agree with you. And uh, as, as it relates to binds, I mean, just what a relief it is to have him on the team from the start right. this year, in a comfortable spot where I'm, you know, the uh, questions with Patrick Queen seem to have answered themselves and Bynes is going to be there and we're going to get steady inside linebacker play from, from uh, Mike linebacker play from Josh Bynes. Right. I, I, I've got four goals I've got from the season and some of them really just continue because frankly, if he could continue at the same level, he'd be beating the aging curve, you know, so you'd expect a decline if he, if he did just play at the same level. That's good. I said that about Matt Burke for years and, and, and he continued to play at a very high level for the Ravens. But in, in 2022, I'd say continue to provide value as a two-down inside linebacker. Quick reads on run plays is the first. Use his experience and awareness to make plays in the passing game. So read the QB, get in lanes. He's not going to be the quick cover guy. He's more like late career Ray Lewis, where he has to use his smarts to know how things are going on behind him, read the quarterback, get in lanes, deny opportunities to the quarterback, which then create opportunities for the pass rush and other defenders if that ball gets thrown elsewhere or gets tipped um, uh, elsewhere. This this is a guy that's tough for me to categorize as far as good year, great year, because I just see him being who he is. I mean, we know who he is, Mm -hmm. but, you know, if he, you know, just in a general term, if he plays about as effective as he did last year, to me, that's, that's a good year. I know that I'm not giving any kind of specific thing there, but Josh Bynes is going to show up, be Josh Bynes. Good year, provide what he did 
about what he did last year. I, I have basically a similar thing. Provide the basis of an inside linebacker platoon with good two down mic play. And that is exactly what he did last year. So uh, you know, I think I think that's fine. I've got a I've got a great that might be different from yours, but do you have a great? Yes, I do. I want I want to see turnovers. Uh okay. Do what he did last year, create, we'll say more than one turnover for the show. Give a, a, a hard, you know, give me a couple of forced fumbles, uh maybe a strip sack. But, uh, you know, he, he did okay. He filled up. He had two sacks, three quarterback hits, four passes defended, as I mentioned earlier, six tackles for loss. That all is in the great category for me. But just give me a give me a turnover. Give me a force. You don't have to be the recipient. Force a couple of fumbles, say. Okay. Second man of the ball skills. Pick up a loose ball. Pick up a ball that's tipped in the air. Yeah, that kind of thing. Give me an interception instead of a pass defense. So it's, uh, you know. Take it to another level there. That would to, to me to me if he gives us what he gave us last year plus a few turn a couple turnovers, that would just be a I mean, what a great year. What a great player. I'll I'll give you my grade here. It's a little bit different. He confounds the skeptics with a plus defensive year. So so I think you know he's he had a good year last year. He could he could be every bit as good would be a plus year, certainly. But the second part I'm gonna give him is the development of Patrick Queen into a better player. So if if he can contribute to that in some meaningful way, whether it's by his on-field play and Queen reading his clues, whether it's the time in the meeting rooms they have, whether it's individual time he and Orr spend with Queen to try and make him a better player, whether whatever it might be. I, I, I'm not going to limit it in any way, but I think those three are, are three pretty good ways. That would be a great year for me. I like it. I like it. That's a good, another, good, uh, another good avenue there. Make others around him better. All right. Outstanding. This is always fun talking football with you, Jason. We get so yeah. excited. And let's let's move on to Makai Polk here, though. Uh, undrafted free agent wide receiver from Mississippi State. Uh, he is a bigger guy, 6'3", uh, right around 200, 197 I've seen in 200. Uh, somewhat slow at 459. Uh, but he is in Baltimore, I believe, because he's one of several guys they have here with kind of prototypical X size. Uh, plays a little faster maybe than, than that 459, 40. What do you think? I actually see him as a Z or maybe even a big slot. Oh. I do. I do. I don't know uh, how how he'll get off the line of scrimmage because he's 6'3 and kind of thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think play strength overall is something that he needs to work on. And I think speed, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he's not fast. Uh, if anything, he's, he didn't get drafted because of that four, uh, four, six, what is it? Four, five, nine, mm-hmm. four, five, nine, 40 that he ran. I think that was, that contributed to the fact that he went undrafted. A lot of people I saw him can have had him in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. He wasn't on my board. Um, but yeah, I see him as a Z because, or a guy who can line up off the line of scrimmage to avoid press. And mm-hmm. then and then find spots in the zone from there and run a bunch of different routes and use his height and length to his advantage. So so yes, I'm looking at him as a guy that I think uh, you know, is going to try to vie for some of Hollywood Brown, how we used Hollywood Brown. Let's let's just just for the hell of it, let's talk to the listeners a little bit about what the X and Z receiver are. The X X receiver typically in a right-handed offense is on the, on the left side of the field and he's tethered to the line of scrimmage, meaning he's one of the two end guys who cannot leave the line of scrimmage. The guy on the other side is, is typically your tight end. Your strong side tight end will be lined up right, right to the right of the tackle. If you think about how Todd Heap used to line up in the old days, kind of leaning forward in front of the tackle, almost looking to, to clearly run a route and not, and not block. Uh, you know, Mark Andrews and others would would line up right on the line of scrimmage. Sometimes uh, you're left on the right side 
usually with no tight end, sorry, no tight end in line. And those two receivers will kind of wave at each other before the snap to, to, to kind of mm-hmm. indicate to each other who's going to be tethered on the play. But it's a it's a big deal to have a release that's you know a yard deep from the line of scrimmage in terms of your ability to avoid press. Right. So what I'm saying, Ken, you know, to tie it back in is I believe he's a little tall and skinny and it may be a problem for him to get off press uh, to be the tethered to the line of scrimmage and have someone up in his face. Uh, early in his career, what I saw is you know, he's a completely like the opposite side uh, style as Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown, obviously shorter, much faster, much quicker. This guy's six three, not a very sudden athlete. But I see him playing Hollywood Brown's position because both of those guys, I think, could have problems getting off the line of scrimmage, which is why we didn't see Hollywood moved around as much as we would like. Uh, so yeah, let Makai Polk give him a step back off the line of scrimmage and then watch him work is, is kind of how I see it. So that was kind of cool. We have a, we kind of, uh, and I saw him also just to add to that, he played Hollywood Brown spot and that's the receiver a lot mm-hmm. at Mississippi state. So that's his natural right sideline, like Tylen Wallace was coming out. That's where I saw him a lot when I saw him on film. It's interesting because Tylen Wallace is another guy who could compete for X snaps for for those uh, outside left snaps that we've saw you know players like uh, Miles Boykin take in the in the past. Uh, you know, one of the things that I like about Polk is his age. He doesn't turn twenty one until August. Obviously, it's an advantage over a player like Benjamin Victor who is, I believe, 24, but still has four years of team control. So even though they're in the same spot in terms of the number of option years that they have for, for the Ravens, uh, they, they they have a big difference in starting age. And I, you know, from that perspective, I'd say Makai Polk has much more of a chance for growth to fill out a frame, to become a bigger, uh, more solid athlete. We, maybe we'll see a guy who's, who's more of a very effective run blocker. He's still, yes, he's still young. He had two years at California, I believe, and then transferred to the air raid offense at Mississippi State under Mike Leach. So uh, he went from not getting much action at Cal to here he is. And uh, what was it, Ken? Uh, 105 catches. Uh, and just to let you know what kind of pers- uh, possession receiver he is, 105 catches for only 1,046 yards. Um so 10, ten yards, yards per reception, yeah. you're almost right on the money there, nine touchdowns. But, he, you know, the good news is he did that in the SEC, uh, which mm-hmm. is great production. The bad side to that is it was his only year of production. He didn't do much at Cal, which I assume is why he transferred. Um, but, yeah, Ken, to back to your original point, he does have some room to grow as far as an athlete, get a little bigger, bigger, stronger, and be a more versatile uh, piece on the offense. But, uh I, I like this guy a lot, Ken, um, and that's part of the reason why I, ch- I chose him. Uh, I think that he's uh, his IQ is really what I want to talk about. Uh, that's great. Well, go there. Okay, so he gets himself open, not despite despite his athletic, uh, what some people would consider shortcomings. He is very quarterback friendly. He reminds me a lot of Mark Andrews. In the way he moves against zone, the little subtle slide overs, the watching the quarterback's eyes, he'll glance at a receiver, walk, look back at the quarterback, kind of call for the ball. He's, you know, he's got that big frame. Uh, find space. Finds he finds space, and then of course because he's uh, something else we'll talk about later is what he does when the ball is thrown to him. But uh, just from an IQ standpoint, I mean, 100 catches, and he got them in all kinds of ways. Uh, I saw him running the entire route tree. And just doing subtle things that 
are hard to say on a pod. Uh, head fakes, just just an IQ that to me is way ahead of uh, the receivers, the other receivers that uh, were brought in. It gives so him a step up. That definitely has some legitimate ability to make a corner do the wrong thing at the top of the route tree, which is something I really like and something the Ravens sorely need on this team is more guys. And Duvernay is a guy we talked about prior who really lacks that at this point in his career, that we need to see more of that from him, more ability to, in fact, even get there. So he has an opportunity to get that, but more ability to actually show some wiggle where, where I have a problem with Polk. And, and, and I know he had a lot of catches, but is in his ability to convert what he did in the sec to the NFL in terms of, high pointing the football in contested catch situations. He's, he's got a little bit shorter arms. Now there's, there's cornerbacks with shorter arms than him. And, and, and there's very few cornerbacks as tall as him. I still don't think he's a great contested catch guy. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was average in that. I think his arms were 32 and a quarter. Maybe you mm-hmm. can double check me on that. That's right. So it's not, it wasn't uh super, super, super short uh, as some of the slot corners or whatever slot receivers, but uh, I like his length. I like the way he tracks the ball. I didn't see 50 fifties as a, an issue, but I think that the issue with him is he's going to face a ton of 50 50 balls. If we're targeting him downfield, because he's just not fast enough for that. I mean, he's going to have to do it by trickeration, like you were saying, yeah. um, making the cornerback do the wrong thing. I love the way you phrased that. That, that was really good because that's what he's good at, and that's what allows him to to run basically the whole route tree. But to me, Ken, possession receiver, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't really want to be trusting him on the 50-50 balls. He's not a, a Drake London type player or a DeAndre Hopkins type player on that. Um, I don't think it's a negative skill, but it's just not a high percentage play. So, you know, I, I see him working the short to intermediate parts of the field uh, in an ideal world. Okay. Well, that's that's definitely a different role than I would have guessed that the Ravens want him for, given his size and whatnot. So we'll see how that, that comes out in camp, whether they give him opportunities at both spots even, and uh, and then they make the call. But uh, they, a lot of that will come in practice too, and we'll, we'll, we'll get an opportunity to take a look at that. Um, one of the issues I think with him making the team is that his size is not always conducive to good special teams play. So at, at, at his size, he almost has to be the gunner on punt coverage. He can play other positions across the field, of course, in terms of, of where he'd be on kick return coverage. That's less important. Frankly, the punt coverage much more important. So uh, it's going to limit his opportunity to provide value there. I know there's a few years back, I, I think of Tommy Streeter as being a guy who they said, oh, no problem. They could do it on special teams. Well, no, it really turned out, he, you know, there's, there's a lot of things you you can't project that easily. And so uh, Makai Polk needs to get a lot stronger to play in the NFL. And it's not just about his receiving, it's about his special teams as well. Exactly. And you look at a guy like Tylen Wallace, just to, to compare, here's a guy like you mentioned could play X because you see him get off the line of scrimmage and beat two guys, bully guys there, find space there. I mean, he, as a gunner, I'm talking about, yeah. you see it on special teams, this guy, there's no problem. So yeah, uh, Makai Polk, uh, I agree. I think he's going to have a hard time cracking that lineup on special teams, especially with all the DBs we have, the middle linebackers we have. Um, it's if he makes the roster, it's going to be, it's going to be as a receiver. You know what I mean? If he is on the team at any point, not even make the opening day roster, but it's going to be because of his receiving skills. And, um, you know, I think that he is a a high IQ receiver, as we said, 
Uh, but as far as, you know, his raw strength and speed, you know, that's something that's going to be developmental for a 21 year old, as you said. And uh, that's his main obstacle is how do the Ravens keep this guy as a backup receiver who does not contribute maybe on special teams. Is it interesting that he did the bench at the combine or his pro day six reps? Yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, that's unusual that a player who who's that limited is going to even do the, the drill. But uh, but an interesting one there, nonetheless. I, let's talk about what a good and great year is in terms of Makai Polk. Start with a good year, and you go ahead first. A good year, you know, is that he starts. Uh, he is on, he is on this Ravens team this time next year. I think would be a good way to keep a good twenty three. You know, you know twenty twenty three. We're sitting here talking about can Makai Polk is he can he crack the starting lineup. Uh, can he build off of what he did last year? That kind of thing. If he is a Baltimore Raven this time last year, that tells me that he did a good job, a, a good job, good enough to keep around a player who does not profile as a special teamer, um, who's just a receiver only. So, so yeah, if he can if he can stick his, with the Ravens, basically. So for that, he'd he'd have to he'd have to not just be a practice squad player because you're talking about he has to have some accomplishments to build on from 2022. Right. So Either saying, in practice, you know, even if he doesn't make the games where they see this guy is okay. just very quarterback friendly, we're going to keep him around, even though, you know, we have other players that can somebody goes down that we're going to need to play special teams. I got a similar one. I, I say the Ravens see the promise, obviously, between the combination of practice and camp. Uh, sorry. And and, uh, and preseason games, they keep him on the practice squad. It would obviously be bad for the team if he got an opportunity due to injury, but good for him. Uh, and and I don't even think he has to get that opportunity necessarily. He has to be the guy who the Ravens have slotted at the top guy to get that opportunity in case of injury. So he's their number six, sixth wide receiver on a five man unit. If they never have to go to him, great for the Ravens and still not necessarily bad for Makai Polk. Okay. There you go. I like it. That, that bleeds into my great year. You know, if, if he's, if he makes the, I think a great year is he can make the opening day roster. I do, I do believe that there's a chance of that. When I look at all the UDFAs and obviously the lack of depth that is on the team right now. Now, of course, if the Ravens add a receiver before camp, especially with all the tight ends that we have, mm-hmm. um, it, there might not be a spot for him. So, um, you know, that, and that might not have anything to do with how he's performing. You know what I mean? So that's why I say, all right, good year. We find a way to keep this guy. Great year is he contributes on offense. Uh, just even a little bit. I think that uh, if he can take some big, he can be our big slot. What people said, oh, well, Boykin, you know, how can we use Boykin as a tight end? I think Makai Polk can be used as that flex tight end. Obviously, he's not blocking mm-hmm. anybody at the line of scrimmage. Or if they say, okay, Wallace is going to get some snaps over here. We can use Bateman over here. Uh, if he gets on the, rec- I mean, for as much as heavy as the Ravens run, we're still going to go three or four wide receivers about half the time. So if he can be that fourth guy even uh, and get some playing time in an actual NFL game uh, games, to me, that constitutes a great year. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that certainly would be a great year. I, I have something similar that he's this year's camp darling at receiver. And I think, you know, there's always one guy and all, sometimes there's two guys that, that, that people really have. Oh, my God, they've got to keep him. They've got to drop cornerbacks and defensive linemen and other people to, you know, to make room for this receiver. And they never do. But but uh, that he makes the team uh, for what for whatever reason, and it may be opportunity created by injury as it is for a lot of players. 
Um, with the current lack of depth, it's more possible, as you mentioned, than if, than if a, a, you know, a, a, another wide receiver comes in, it'll probably ruin it for him. But I, I would say I, I don't like doing numbers on here, but I, I think if he got 15 targets this year somehow, be a, it would be a great year. It would there really mean that, that he's, he's who the Ravens really are considering as kind of next on, on deck. Right. Wide receiver. I want to interrupt you there, Ken, because Prochet last year, for an example, he had 20 targets, caught 16 balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Makai Polk has those kind of numbers, like you mentioned, we could look at him next year, like we're looking at Prochet's this year, where he has a real opportunity for targets. So I thought yeah. that was great, man. I had to interrupt you there. Yeah, it was, and 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 he'd be way ahead of schedule relative to Brochet, who's now entering his third year. So they, there's there is opportunity, and a good year could still turn into a great year, kind of next year, where he gets those 15 targets in 23. And I I don't think that would be bad because you know he's he's still going to be only 23, no, only 22 years old on opening day 23. He could have used another year in college, uh, you know, to build up that body, but I can't blame him for entering the draft after a 105 catch season. Yeah. So, I mean, you catch 105 balls. It's like, can I do much better than that last next year? I'm not sure I'm going into the draft. So I, I think if the when the Ravens get him in a weight room and they see what kind of work ethic he has, is this guy driven to get bigger, faster, stronger? Can, is there upside to get him bigger, faster, stronger? If they look at him from a, you know, as person to person, like we can't, and they see that drive in him and they see that progress, that incremental progress in Steve Saunders program, they're going to want to keep him because, I think that as as far as receiving skills, his head for the receiver, and he's six three, so it's not like he's some he doesn't have anything to build off physically. A six three mm-hmm. guy, great frame, great you're right with uh um you know a good head for the game. I mean that's a guy you want to hang on to. So uh, the reason I chose him for this podcast is he's the one guy I look at and I'm like you know I could see this guy turning into a an AD catch guy if uh if he can get himself straight you know later in his career obviously but. Uh, mm-hmm. Always a great pleasure to talk football with you, Jason. I really appreciate you taking a couple of players, uh, Zacoby McLean on the last episode we did, and Makai Polk, uh, who are a little bit further down. You know, it's easy; it's always easy to take the players that are easy to know. We had big push on skill position players. Makai Polk, while a skill position player, is kind of an unknown skill position player. So I really appreciate you taking a deeper dive into him with us today. And, and uh, I, I thought it was, as usual, great discussion. I love talking football with you, my friend. Tell, me, tell me folks too. where they can find your stuff. Me too. And I, uh, uh, sure. And I also just wanted to say before I get into that, that I was happy to be able to get Makai Polk and Zacoby McLean because I'm looking at the roster overall, Ken, and I think it's a very deep roster. I'm looking at like, there aren't any UDFA uh, tight ends that are making it. There aren't any UDFA running backs that are making it. Uh, unless injuries happen, of course, which they will. Uh, you look at the safety room, there's there's no room there. But Zacoby McLean and Makai Polk, I think that there are opportunities for those guys to not only make the 53, but if they don't, just stick around on the practice squad and come in. Uh, so I got I got the pick of the litter, Ken. Like these are these, these would be my two guys that if they say what UDFA is going to make the team this year, it'd be either Polk or McLean. But um, please check out my work at Huddled Up Films on Twitter, but mainly it's YouTube. Check out the coaches' film. I got plenty of film on there. It's uh, just meat and potatoes, you know, string together plays, and you can see what these guys look like when they're going well. There's also some cut-ups as far as this player versus Cincinnati, this player versus Pittsburgh, so you can see every snap for them. So a variety of things. You, you So you show every snap from particular games. Yes, right? for some no. players. Highly um, appreciate that sort of 
uh, completeness. Now, Ken, I will occasionally, let's say, um, if they're lined up at left cornerback and uh, the quarterback hike snaps it and throws it to the other side and there's really nothing to gain that you can see. I'll, occasionally, I'll cut out a play or two is what I'm getting. But for the most part, it's every single play. And I have one from Ben Cleveland last year that uh, went over well. It was all his run blocking, run blocks together and then all his pass sets together. So I split them up. Everyone for the whole year or just? No, it was for the Kansas City game, I believe. Okay. Uh, But yeah, just to see what he looked like in run blocking all together instead of seeing a run snap and a pass snap and a pass snap and then a run snap. But it was all his snaps. So um, yeah, plenty of content out there to keep you busy throughout the summer while we're all missing football again. Jason always does a good job. And and one of the things I always tell young analysts is not that Jason falls in this category anymore. Sorry, buddy. Oh, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he is a, uh, a, a good completion uh, amount there. Let me, let me, let me restate that because I just did a terrible job. If, if you're doing analytic work in football, one of the key things has to be what the universe you're looking at is. Please don't try and pick a few plays to, to, to build a narrative on traits. It's, it's complete crap. Yep. I can't stand it. You know, you need to look at every play. When, when I look at, at college tape, I really don't look at um, highlight videos. That's like a failure. I haven't studied that player enough if I do that. But but I, I want to look at one game all the way through. Even if it's not a completely representative game, I'll get, I'll, I'll get idea of highs and lows I can't possibly get from a highlight tape. That's right. And you know what I found? A little, little hint on that for anybody getting into evaluation. Sometimes those games will turn into blowouts late. Mm-hmm. And instead of watching the end of a blowout, I'll spend that time watching a, the, another game. You know what I mean? Where it's not just obvious stuff going on, depending on the position. And, you know, there are a lot of factors into that. But sometimes the games get a little out of hand and they're running into a pile for eight minutes. And it's just like, well, I'm not really gaining a, a ton out of that. Everybody knows what everybody's doing. But, uh, but yeah, Ken, watch the full games for sure. You know, but uh, my channel, you know, I call them highlights because they get looked up. People look up highlights but it's more like a log. It's more like an indivi- uh, informational log and I'll add some music and make it bearable, but um, you know, it's not a lot of effects or we're not showing the crowd's reaction. We're just showing the, the pre-snap and the play from a coach's angle. All right. O- outstanding stuff, Jason. Always appreciate having you on other folks out there. If you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up with a DM and Twitter. They're always open. I'll get back to you very quickly. We're looking for a narrow topic that we can get into in good depth in about 30 minutes. Love to hear from you. Uh, Jason, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.